You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. Ken will be back next week, Lord willing, and he will conclude the series on uh, relative to uh, discerning God's will. So Second Peter chapter 3, and we're going to work our way through this, this chapter this morning, at least up to verse 13. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, we come to you today and we're grateful for your goodness and grace. We're grateful for the <clears throat> blessing of being able to come together and open your word. We ask that as we do so, that you would use it to effect and accomplish your purposes among us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Second Peter chapter 3. And this chapter speaks concerning realities that the church will experience um, as we await our Lord's return. And Peter had some interesting exhortations in this chapter for us. So I want us to work through this because this obviously applies to us. And uh, Peter makes some key observations for us as he acknowledges what is yet to come and then our response to it. But he begins in chapter 3 by saying, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So Peter says, in many ways, I'm not going to be covering any new territory here. What we're going to be talking about is are a number of truths that uh, have been relayed to you either by Peter or the other apostles or prophets that God used in the early church, in the early decades of the church, as he revealed truth and truth was being recorded. Um, and that kind of ministry ceased when the scriptures were completed. The full revelation of God's written record was completed. He did not continue to use the means of giving revelation through prophets and apostles uh, subsequent to that point. But we're in this era where uh, God was using apostles and prophets, and along with what they wrote, simultaneously, uh, they were having this ministry in the local churches as well. And so uh, he says, we've talked about this, and so we're going to go back and, and cover some truth that we have already covered and add some to it. And so he said, verse 2, he says, that you may be mindful, alert to, aware of, uh, the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, he's referring to the prophets of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's, he's saying, we have, we have taught what they have taught uh, and written and recorded, and now we're adding to it and we're reminding you of it and of the commandment of us. And so he's, he's complimenting that, what we have, what God has added through us in, in the ministry of his word. It's important to see the dynamic that was occurring in these first century, not centuries, but decades of the church in the apostolic era. Um, 
And that was simply the era in which the apostles were alive and ministered in the church. Uh, it's important to see it because there definitely have been those uh, movements within the life of the church subsequent to the apostolic era, which concluded about 96 AD, thereabouts, um, and, and today. And in essence, what these movements emphasize is that God is continuing to use prophets and apostles and continuing to give revelation. And it's important to understand that the reason that apostles and prophets at times were used by God to provide revelation to the churches was because the scriptures were still being written. And once the written record was complete, there was no need to be adding to it because God said, you don't add to my record. You don't add to my written record. Uh, you don't add to it. You don't subtract from it. So once it was complete, the Spirit of God was not raising up anyone to provide new and additional information to what was recorded in the Scriptures, uh, completed by the New Testament uh, body of Scriptures. And so he says, end of the commandment of us, and the apostles of our Lord and Savior. So that was the dynamic in the first decades of the church. Revelation provided um, through apostles and prophets, not all the revelation, but they would re write and record. Thus we have the letters to the various churches, uh, specific churches, general epistles like this one, written to a wide range of churches, not to a particular local church, and so simultaneously they were writing and recording and disseminating these letters to the local churches. The local churches were cop making copies of it, keeping a copy for themselves, circulating that letter then to uh, the next local church, the next local assembly, and they would make a copy. And, and so the scriptures were being written and recorded. And as they were, and the, and the body of it was complete, then the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in providing revelation through the apostles and prophets ceased. And that's what Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he said it in a very loving way. Um, if you get my drift. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? <laughs> but that's where he says that. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. The last days cover the period from the time of our Lord's ascension uh, into heaven up until he comes again. So this whole period is the last days. And as we draw closer and closer to our Lord's return, there's going to be return to establish his kingdom, not his return to gather his church, uh, not his coming to gather his church. So as we move further and further along in the last days, the very things that the apostles talk about concerning the last days will simply intensify. And he says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts or their own desires. What will drive them are their own pursuits, their own desires, rather than God's desires and God's pursuits and God's priorities. It's going to be somewhat wrapped around God-type statements and, uh, and, and biblical-type statements, 
religious type statements, spiritual sounding type statements, statements that incorporate the Jesus Christ, that incorporate on a superficial level um, you know, the Christian lingo and terminology, but their their pursuit, their desire, what drives them are their own desires, their own lusts. Uh, that's that's what motivates them. And saying, here's what they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? So the kind of teachers that Peter is talking about are those who are going to directly challenge the statements of Scripture. And he says it'll come in the form of questions as well as direct challenges. And, he's, and the question is going to be, where's the promise of his coming? You know, you guys talk about Jesus Christ returning. Well, nothing's happened. And now we're in the 21st century, and you guys are still talking about that? It would seem to me like you need to change your narrative. <laughs> uh, and Peter says that's, that's the dynamic that is increasingly going to be confronting uh, the church, uh, the body of Christ. Those who scoff at the truth of the return of Christ and the doctrines relating to the return of Christ, um, and so they'll be they'll making they'll be dismissing it, and they'll be walking, conducting their lives according to their own lusts, and they'll be saying, "Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." Uh, that is a statement of uniformitarianism uh, that we look at. Uh, the flow of history, we look at the flow of, of how everything has progressed um, and everything just continues as we have obs- been observing it. And there, that, that argues in their mind against this concept of, of the return of Christ and the promises associated with that. So we're in Second Peter chapter 3, for those of you just coming in. And, and so their argument is, you know, everything just continues on as it was. And, and what you talk about doesn't fit that mold. It doesn't fit the pattern that, that we operate by. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget. So it's not just forgetting, it's being mindful of the information and dismissing it. Setting it aside. Disregarding it. Belittling it. Uh, considering it as nothing, perhaps even foolishness. They willfully forget. Forget what? That the word of God, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. What's he talking about there? He's talking about what the scripture says concerning God's work of creation. And that uh, God, by his word, brought the heavens and the earth into existence. That's the first part of that. And that's what, exactly what we read in Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And every one of those days of creations, and God said, and God said, and God spoke. And so God created by his powerful utterance. And when he declared something, whatever he declared, it happened. That is vastly different than the word of faith movement. <laughs> they, kind of, they don't try to piggyback into that, but they try to use other concepts and say that we call down the power of God by the word of faith. 
And <clears throat> what Peter is saying here is that there's this dis- dismissiveness of what, the, the, what we would refer to as the scriptural, um, the scriptural revelation concerning origins. That that, that is not um, valid. The second part of that, standing out of the water and in the water. What do we read in the uh, Genesis chapter 1? That this, uh, the, world was, um, the, the world was covered by a watery mass, and then God created the land surfaces, brought them into existence, and the original earth was this combination of water and land. And he says, by which the world that then existed perished. So that initial creation by God perished. How? Being flooded with water. That's referring to the flood that God talks about in the, in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6. And so there's a willing, willful, willful, intentional dismissing of, of all of those points of truth that God has revealed in his word. So there's an attitude here then toward God's word, whether it's Genesis or later portions of God's word, a willingness to willfully disregard it, to willfully dismiss it if it doesn't fit into the pattern of thinking in any given era of human history. We're in the 21st century, so we speak to the 21st century. Uh, And there's a willful forgetting, dismissing of it, not just in secular circles, but even in, quote, Christian circles in the, in the broadest term, a, a dismissing of what the scriptures actually teach concerning origins. And this is tied into the truths that Peter is going to talk about concerning the return of Christ. That if there's a dismissing of what the scriptures say about origins, it lays the foundation then, and this is important uh, truth to connect, it lays the foundation for dismissing the truths concerning the return of Christ and all that's associated with the return of Christ. And we can see that in the 21st century. There is a, a dismissal of eschatological truth, not a total dismissal, but there is a, a diminishing of its importance. Some would concert, consider it secondary truth. But the scriptures connect the dots. And Peter, in essence, is saying they dismiss the one and they're going to dismiss the other. They're going to dismiss the significance of the promises concerning the return of Christ. And so in verse 6 talks about the flood, and they dismiss it. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter now transitions, and he says this present heavens and earth, according to the scriptural revelation uh, that we now live on, the post-flood world that we now live on, that's all we know, Uh, This present world is preserved. It's being kept. It's being held by the same word that brought everything into creation. 
Now, if you dismiss the truth that God by his utterance, God by his word brought everything into existence, then certainly you're going to dismiss the concept that this present heavens and earth is reserved for fire. But that's what the scriptures teach here. That this present heaven and earth is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So judgment is coming upon this present heavens and earth. And when it comes, it's going to be by fire. Peter's going to expand on that as we move through this chapter. But judgment is coming. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Life just went on. This present heavens and earth is reserved for judgment by fire. And what is humanity doing? Eating and drinking and giving in marriage of all kinds of sorts <laughs> and just consumed in the dailies of, of life because everything is going to what? Continue as it has since the days of our fathers. And so the, the idea, the proclamation, the concept that what we now live on is going to be consumed by fire. It, it, seems, it seems unreal. It, it doesn't seem to those who don't take the scriptures um, with, with uh, sincerity, it seems like that's, that's, that's a, a foolish idea to really believe that. You know, if someone wanted to latch on to that statement in the current conversation with, uh, that is being pushed concerning climate change, it wouldn't really quite fit, would it? Because with climate change, the belief is that what? This world, the temperatures in this world are what? Increasing. And as they increase, what's going to happen? It's going to get warmer, and what's that going to cause? According to this theory, uh, to which I do not subscribe. But what's, what, as, as, as the earth warms, according to the climate change theorist, what is going to be happening? The glaciers are going to melt, and then as the glaciers melt, what's going to happen? Okay, but as, as the glaciers melt, gases release floods. That's not destruction by fire. <laughs> God says, when I bring judgment, it will have nothing to do with climate change. Okay? So judgment is coming. Well, when? Well, this ought to be a little unsettling. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Aha! That proves that days can be without limit. So therefore, the days in Genesis were millions of years. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> For a variety of reasons. 
But it should be unsettling because God is not, it's saying here that God is, is not bound by time. God created time. For God, he doesn't, he doesn't mark time. He's not a time being. Everything else is connected to time. The angelic host, humanity, everything operates according to the time structure. God created time. Time did not exist before creation. And so for God, it, it's, it's irrelevant, you know, one day or a thousand years. And as he's talking in context here about judgment, well, when is this judgment going to be? Well, the when question really, it's in the future, obviously it hasn't happened yet, but the when question really isn't the primary question. The primary question is, what is our relationship to the one who is bringing judgment? Because for him, it's not a matter of so much the time equation as it is the fact of it. And so don't, don't try to fudge with this truth uh, thinking that the Lord is, is bound by days. He isn't, or time. Uh, he's outside of time. So whether you think you got one day or a thousand years before God, that is immaterial. The point is you need to respond to God when you hear the truth that God puts before you. And not think that you got one day or one year or 10 years or 30 years. Don't try to mark time with God. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says uh, to, to us, Behold, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, because today is the day of salvation. The, the time that we have, this present time that we have before God, this is the time that we have to respond to God. We don't have any assurance of tomorrow. And we know that is a truth, but bringing that down into the functional realities of our life, that's, that's a different dynamic. But we need to, because none of us sitting in this room have any assurance of tomorrow at all. And so how are we responding to God today? First and foremost, it's okay to think about, you know, what we're going to do in relation to tomorrow, but we have no guarantee of that. We, how are we responding to God today? The day after Michigan just thoroughly thrashed Wisconsin. <laughs> That's water under the bridge. We have today. And so as, as we look at these truths, let's, let's not try to figure out how much time we have. Let's figure out what we need to do in response to these truths today. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And the promise here is the promise of his return. He's not dragging his feet. He, he, he's not... Um, seeking to delay. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Rather, he is long-suffering toward us. He is long-suffering toward humanity. Why? Because he is not willing, desirous, that any should perish. 
That is not God's heart, that anyone should perish. People have perished and they will perish, but that is not God's heart. That's not, that's not his desire. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. But he is willing that all should come to repentance. He is desirous that everyone should come to repentance toward him. Man needs to, each individual needs to come to repentance toward God in our attitude and our thinking toward God uh, and in our sinful condition, uh, which causes this, this lack of relationship. And so God's desire is that we come to repentance. Therefore, Christ has not yet returned. The promise is still valid. The promise will still be affected. But God, in, in his plan has not that that event hasn't happened yet because he desires men come to repentance so therefore that flows naturally off of what he just said about one day being as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day because we need to respond to God not in relation to how much time we think we have but to the truth that's before us now this day because God's desire is that we come to repentance and we have, again, no guarantee that we'll have tomorrow to say, okay, I'll, 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 I'll really look into that tomorrow. But today I want to do this, this, and this. So he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. When Christ returns and affects that judgment, and initiates his kingdom. All of the events surrounded around that. It doesn't happen like that. When he returns and gathers the nations, Matthew chapter 25, and gathers the nations before him for judgment, just prior to the uh, thousand-year reign of Christ. So the nations will be gathered, judgment will be rendered, and those who are considered sheep, will enter into the kingdom, those who are considered goats, meaning that they are unregenerate, that they haven't come to repentance, will be cast into hell. That's not the final judgment. That's just the judgment preceding the establishment of the millennial kingdom. But that day will come. And when it comes, it will be as a thief in the night to those who are present. It'll surprise them. When we dismiss information, whether it's biblical or otherwise, and don't give any credence to it, then when it happens, we're surprised. You know, let's, let's just use the example of a uh, tornado warning. And now you've got all kinds of information that, that we can touch base with and warnings that are there, radio, TV, internet, um, sirens, and we can get the information that this tornado is tracking right here, and this city is in line, and this city, and this city, and it's going to be hitting at this time, and this time, and this time. But if someone just simply dismisses that, disregards it, it's coming, but when it gets to their house, to their building, 
it hits and it's too late. It catches them by surprise. Not because of a lack of information, but because they dismissed the truth and the information that was put before them. And dismissing, disregarding, diminishing, belittling the truth, mocking the truth of our Lord's return to establish His kingdom, for those who do that, yes, it's going to catch them by surprise. I mean, somebody who's attuned to scriptures will know when the tribulation period begins. You have the seven years of tribulation. At the culmination of that, our Lord Jesus Christ returns and judges the nations and establishes his kingdom. There is an event for those who are biblically attuned and take the scriptures at, at uh, face value that tells us when the tribulation begins. The tribulation does not begin with the removal of the church from this earth, the rapture. That doesn't start the tribulation period. The church is removed prior to the seven years of judgment, of tribulation. But the event, Daniel chapter 9, that initiates the tribulation period is when the one that the scriptures call the beast, the Antichrist, signs the peace accord with Israel that's a seven-year peace accord. When he signs that, the seven years starts. Now, he won't show up at that signing ceremony with a nameplate on the desk or the podium, wherever the signing agreement is occurring, and then TV monitors in the back with the names of the different individuals. And for the one who signs it, it won't say Antichrist, Beast, otherwise known as Beast, from the scriptures, <laughs> from the Bible, it would just have his name. But when that event occurs, the tribulation period starts, runs seven years. It's not seven years, roughly speaking, give or take a month or two. The scriptures are very specific about the number of days. And those number of days equals seven years. So once that tribulation period starts, at the culmination of that tribulation period, Jesus Christ returns. Anyone who is biblically attuned at that point in time will be able to track that. Those who are not, those who disregard it, mock it, they're going to be caught by surprise. Not because the information has not been there and not available to them, but because they disregard it, dismiss it, mock it. And then, boom, it's there. It happens. So the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night to those people, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so at the culmination of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, that's what's being described there. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what matter of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So now Peter has been talking about these, these big events that occur in the plan and purpose of God. And then he brings it all the way back down to them 
in the first century, probably about 30 years after the church started when he wrote this letter, and he's, he's bringing all of this truth back down to them now, and he says, in light of these realities, all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you, must you be in holy conduct and godliness? All of this truth is being given to you, and it's out there in the future. It will happen, but... In light of that, what kind of people ought we to be in this present time? See, this is what we're to do with these truths in, in this day that we have. We have no guarantee of tomorrow, so we have today. We have these moments as we are gathered here. What kind of people ought we to be today in all holy conduct? Unique, distinct, different conduct as revealed in Scripture. And it's amazing what's revealed in Scripture as to the kind of people we ought to be. So as we look at the, the bookends of origins or of creation and then the ultimate end of the Lord's coming and final judgment on the earth, in, in between these bookends, whatever time we have on this earth, in this present life, we're to be living a holy life. The conduct of our life is, is to reflect that holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which, the day of God, the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That's not a nuclear war. That's God uttering in judgment this final dis dissolving dissolution of the earth, and he utters it, and it melts. Nevertheless, we according to his what? Promise. The promise of his return. We look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the truth that we're to grasp. You know, my, my siblings and their spouses are here this weekend. They'll be here, most of them here, in a few minutes, Lord willing. Um, and we just had a little family reunion this weekend for the first time in several years. And last night we just spent some time talking about, you know, what's, what's, what are you going to be doing in the future, what's your you know, plans in the next few years to the extent that you have them because we're all a little bit older. And, uh, and so we're just at that stage in life, you know, where you realize that you're probably in your final 20 to 30 years of life. And that's sometime during that time, you're probably, you know, we're probably all going to be in heaven because you all know the Lord. And, uh, and so everything that, that, we have about us right now is is temporary and as you get older hopefully you see that these things that we at one time considered more significant are far far less significant now you know the homes that we have they're going to burn up at least with the dissolution of the heavens and the earth, they're going to be gone. Everything in it, our cars, everything. You know, not that we put that much significance in them now, but 
it helps us to put perspective to material things into this present life in this present world to not be so controlled and dominated by what this present world is and how it thinks and how it operates and be more controlled by the scriptures and these kind of truths and seek to invest our lives and invest ourselves in knowing Christ and serving Christ more fully. Um, that's what Peter's talking about, is that in, in, in understanding these truths, what kind of people ought we to be in a holiness and godliness? Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. So we're to look forward to these realities. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So that's very practical. Be peaceful. It's kind of hard to do today <laughs> when you have people getting in your face in a variety of ways about a variety of things. But be, be found in him in peace and without spot or blemish. Don't, don't be controlled by this world system and, and the sinful nature. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So the promise is still there. We're still anticipating and expecting our Lord's return. He hasn't come yet, but what that means is salvation. Salvation for all those who repent of their sin, repent toward God, and place their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, he says, And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. So that happened in the first century. It still happens today. People twist and turn scriptures for their own ends. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, if you didn't know that already this morning, you do now. You've had some exposure to these truths. Now, I know you've had the exposure to these truths before. But just in case anyone didn't have any exposure to these truths before, you do now. You know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Stay steadfast on these truths and their implications for our lives in this present world. The concluding statement, but grow, we continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a priority for us. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in these present days. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So ultimately, the purpose for which God created everything will come full circle and will be accomplished, and that will, is that it will be a full expression of his glory. Creation is an expression of his glory. We are an expression of his glory. To him be glory. And so... 2 Peter chapter 3 is, is a very valuable portion of Scripture. Uh, it lets us know what our future is and some practical exhortations there for us on how we're to live this day that we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this time we've had together in your word and just to be able to survey this chapter and to consider the truths that are in it. Uh, Father, to 
allow them to uh, sink more deeply into our understanding. And Father, we do pray that we will continue to contemplate these truths and, Lord, that we will continue to seek to grow um, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.